Kimberly Mackey in the studio with us for another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down. And today you want to talk about gaining traction in your premises that selling and building homes is a numbers game. It is. And thank you so much for having me. I, I've wanted to be on the program for a while, so I, I feel honored to be here. So thank you very much. No, stop it. Stop uh, it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> well, you can have been on my program. So, you know, this is great. And it was fun to see you at the Builder Show and have a little fun around our silver awards that we won. Yes. For- and I have to give you uh, credit because I Something happened in our in our podcast stats after the Builder Show, and I didn't put two and two together. I thought, I was like, well, there wasn't one episode that went viral. Like, what happened? Because our stats almost doubled in terms of downloads to like five, 6,000 trending a month. And looking at it, I think it was Andrew actually was like, Builder Show, maybe just all of us getting together, uh, hanging out, promoting each other's stuff, talking about all of the great podcasts that are available. So I'm going to blame you you and your audience for doubling our exposure. So thank you very much. So yeah, we saw a, a big spike too after after IBS. And I do believe a lot of it was because we were having fun and we were talking about everything and cross-promoting one another and it all works. Yeah. The, the, the key is that, you know, builders win when we share this kind of information with them and, and can help them to, to gain some traction, to That's right. circle back around. Yeah. So, so when you say building and selling is a numbers game, that there's two ways we can go with that. We either are thinking that we should just let the CFO run the company because if he uses Excel and it's all numbers, then it works. No. Or I think probably more likely what you're saying is that you can create a, a predictable process. Is that too, too strong of a way? be very a very concise way of saying it. Yes. So Chuck Shen, who of course created even flow selling and coined the phrase even flow selling. I used to have these great conversations back in the day when I was on the other side and I was in leadership and management for uh, large production builders. And he would say, you know, you can even flow sell. And this is how, and I'm like, no, you can't. There's too many, <laughs> there's too many X factors. You know, there's people, there's market conditions, there's all, he proved me wrong. And I ate crow and told him, I'm like, you're absolutely right. I've come around from the dark side. I see it now. It absolutely, when you follow these very simple processes, you manage the numbers ahead of it. You can even flow sell. Maybe not exactly. It's not like even flow starts where, you know, you start a home every mm-hmm. week and then, you know, you're going to close a home every week once you cycle through. But, you know, you can predict down to, you know, the month, at least by the month. And we should always know what's coming if we're looking at our pipelines and, and we're actually managing things. That's why I'm always, you know, harassing our CRM providers. Give me a pipeline. Yeah. I've got to have a visual pipeline so I can act effectively manage this stuff. You know, what's so interesting is there has to be a psychological defense mechanism that kicks in because I lived it, but my initial reaction to hearing you say what you just said about predictability is to say, well, sure, in a great market, it's easy to predict because there's all these people just lining up and you get to be in full control of the release so that you can predict easier then. But in my mind, I was thinking, but what about a down market? And then 30 seconds later, I came back and smacked myself and said, you you were a builder in a down market who experienced this. So in 2010, 11, and 12, at Heartland, we went from having 60 sales in a month to then 15 to then 72 to 20. And after creating processes, 
uh, and systems. A lot of it was due to the online sales program of just having visibility of that, sure. all, all of those numbers. It was between 40 and 50 every month for three years straight, every single month. And you'll hear the builders say, oh, well, this is because, you know, the Canadians are in town and they're buying or I mean, I've literally run builders out of land <laughs> because they couldn't accept what their new absorption rate was. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to run out of land in six months or you're already a year and a half behind the process here. Get moving. And they're like, oh, no, well, this is just this or that. No, when you have a system, you can predict and you know what your new absorption rate is going to be. So it's almost like throttling your sales like we're doing now where we're saying we're controlling and this is our sales pace you do you get to do that in any market so yep. it becomes market proof huh. you like That's what right. i did there yeah <laughs> no i love it and that is essentially what the algorithm that that we talked about the builder show and, and we use internally is probably just another flip of the coin view of the same math really but absolutely 100 bought in so let's break it down what where do you want to start? Where's the most important place to start? At the sales, like writing it on closings, on on leads? Where where do you like to start? Well, I mean, I, I like to start at the beginning. We don't have to go too heavily into that. and We can fast track forward into the sales. But, you know, in your world, impressions to clicks to web conversions to then taking action, whether it be a call in mm -hmm. or a form uh, submittal, you know, something that then gives that OSC something to go with. Right. So how many impressions does it take? You've got to know those numbers. And it depends what kind of builder you are, where you are. You know, there's a lot of, of factors there that you're going to have different variables. But each builder has their own formula. I don't think so, we can Kimberly, readily you're, figure you're out. You're supposed to hold on. We, we're supposed to take a conference metric that someone like took their own reality, times it by three to sound more impressive because no one can really verify when you're just up in front of a crowd well, of people. You're supposed to true. take that metric and go back and compare yourself to it and you either won or you lost. There is no, but that's obviously sarcasm. Yeah. I just wanted to make everyone pause on that to say, uh, thankfully they don't ask it as much anymore, but the most common question I used to get asked was, well, what is the number for, for conversion of this lead source, or what is the cost per lead that I should be focused on? And it's not a cop-out. It's to say that you can't run the math the way that, that you and I are both expressing running the math unless you're using your own numbers. And, and so taking someone else's conference metric and trying to plug that into your mathematical formula for getting to even flow selling, it's not going to work. If your viewers could see me right now, they'd see me doing a happy dance on that. Because yes, <laughs> you know, I, I get my custom builders that I'm working with and they're like, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to make this fit for me. And I'm like, well, you start tracking it. And then we figure it out. We literally start from the beginning and do the math. You know, how many impressions are you getting? And, you know, and then how many clicks? We, you know, we have to measure the right stuff to get to where we want to yeah. go. But you start with where are you now? And I was right before we got on today, I was actually working with a builder up in, in Wisconsin. And, you know, I asked them the tough question. I'm like, so where are you today? And they literally paused and said, I don't know. So we, we had to back into it. We went to 12 different. I'm like, we're not moving forward until we know where we are now. We have to know these numbers. And that's the same thing that carries forward with, you know, then how many of those leads does, if you have an online sales counselor, how many leads does that online sales counselor have to talk to before it creates an appointment mm -hmm. for your sales professional? Or if you don't have an OSC, heaven forbid, but if you don't, 
then same thing. How many leads does it take? How many prospects does it take for your salesperson to get the numbers that they need in order to get to the goal for the year? Yeah. So I think what, what we're talking about right now is holistically as an organization, but don't forget everyone as we continue on this conversation, because we might forget to remind you that the best way to do this is at the community level. Because if you're talking about a particular community that's struggling more than the average community in your company, you can't take the average numbers and say, well, then this should work for my community. And one of the best parts about doing the numbers separately is to be able to walk into a meeting with your executive team and say, it is 2.7 times harder to convert a lead to an appointment in this community than our average community. Let's talk about why that is, because it ain't because we don't have enough social media posts or something like that. That's not the thing that right. causes that step of the process to happen. It's something else that we need to address. As a uh, VP of sales and marketing, the number that I hated tracking the most was the conversion rate for sales prospect. I'm like, this tells you nothing. Why yeah. are you so focused on this? Why I want to know that metric is to say, how much traffic is it taking for me to get to that sale? Not to punish a salesperson who may need 20 prospects to get one one sale uh, and say, oh, well, they're a terrible salesperson. No, is that traffic qualified? Are we getting the right people? If you're getting people who are coming in, they can afford something that's $100,000 less than you're offering, which we're seeing a lot today. What do we need to do to drive better quality and qualified traffic? Yeah. To that, to that person. I have to tell another joke. It's a sale. It's a new home sales joke. Do we even register that person? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) We don't register those people, do we? We you know, you should register everyone obviously, but they won't register it psychologically. This is what you do. You get garbage in and garbage out, right? So they will not register if they think they're going to be penalized for it. Information is not good or bad. It's just information. No, and not having the information is the only bad part. We talk about that all the time of, well, I don't count those people because they're they're $100,000 out of the price range. Okay, but if you just sweep it under the rug and don't register, but don't say anything, then how does marketing know that they're driving you the wrong people? Yeah. They don't. And so it's not helping anyone just to make sure that the numbers that might cause some pressure in your world They have to be laid out for everyone because that's how feedback happens. Yes, but as a salesperson, I'm focused on my, you know, 10% or 5% conversion rate or whatever you're used to having. That number means nothing in a vacuum. All of these numbers mean nothing in a vacuum. You have to look at the total picture. That's right. So you have here, again, we don't do show notes really at at Marketproof Marketing, but you did pass along this little document that has... 10521 is a great place to start. What does that mean? 10521. That is my favorite. I'm all about keeping things simple. I'm not great at math. And yet here's what we're talking about. We're talking about numbers, right? So <laughs> this formula has been with me for years. I actually started in new home sales with this formula. I just didn't know it. <laughs> Finally, somebody quantified it for me. And I was like, light bulb moment. So I've taken this with me everywhere I've been, whether it's a small builder, a large production, a national publicly traded, this works. 10, five, two, one is your sales formula. 10 stands for the number of average prospects. These are not phone calls. These Mm -hmm. are people that we have seen. 
We're seeing them either virtually today because we are doing a lot more virtual and Zoom appointments. That counts to me as the old adage of crossing the threshold. But previously, they have to cross your threshold. I don't care if you made an appointment with them. That's great. If you made the appointment or they walked in, they physically crossed your threshold. They are unqualified prospects. And 10 is the average that salespeople need in order to get one sale. You may have, I've got a builder up in Rochester, New York. If my salespeople there get three traffic units a week, I'm doing it. We're doing a happy dance, mm-hmm. but they they come in further into the funnel up there. Yep. Yep. And so they're far more qualified and we have a unique offering. So we know that if we're getting three, we're going to hit our numbers. We're still going to get there. Five is the number of first appointments that your salespeople have to have. Now, this number, if you don't need 50 sales a year, you can adjust this. So if your salespeople only need to make 30 sales a year, okay, so maybe they need to have three first appointments. Maybe they need four first appointments. Mm -hmm. Again, it depends on your scenario. So you can adjust these numbers. But on average, our average salesperson needs to sit down virtually or in person with five people that they are meeting for the first time. Mm -hmm. And we know that you're 50% more likely to convert a sale if you have an appointment than someone who just literally walks through your door. That's right. And and I always like to say this whenever someone talks about this point, the reason is not just because of the customer. I don't believe, I believe the reason is because the sales professional and the customer are both going into this engagement, knowing exactly what's about to happen. And so both are kind of in it to win it, so to speak of you're doing your best presentation. You're giving the customer your full attention. You're anticipating because it is an appointment. So, so my, my, I guess another way of saying it is if that same person walked in randomly at two o'clock on Tuesday or has an appointment at two o'clock on Tuesday, the main difference is from the salesperson's perspective, not from the customers. And and so both it, it, it works because of both sides of this conversation being Absolutely. better. Absolutely. We've got, we've set, your OSC has set the right expectations. There's been some rapport building. We know something about, it, it's almost a shortcut to that relationship. And we are in the relationship business. We're not in the house selling business. Everybody thinks that, you know, it's all about the homes and it, that's the ultimate result of what we do. Have you seen what people are buying for like $700,000 oh. in Iowa these days? It's uh, not it's, about the home. The, <laughs> one could argue no. that, that homes are actually becoming less impressive when you consider what they cost. So I a hundred percent agree with you. It is absolutely relationship. I'm working with builders right now. And the number one thing that we're trying to teach them to do is to get back to building that relationship because it's all been, Hey, this is how, this is our program. This is how you get on our VIP list. This is how, guys, this thing's coming to, a, to an end. And if we don't get really good at building those relationships again, then, you know, we're going to lose because it's going to turn. It's going to turn quickly and you're going to find yourself scrambling. If you're doing the right stuff steadily over and over. Wow, that was a, that must, that must have been a really good point. <laughs> that was, the, I mean, I, I, I just want to pause there because I do hear people all the time. They're like, you know what, Kevin? You and all the other people in the consulting training help world just want to talk about, isn't it going to get bad soon? And I've heard people talk about that for four years about it's going to get bad and it hasn't yet. Well, then my follow-up question usually to, to those people is, how long have you been doing this? And they're like, since 2010. I'm like, 
you just, there's a reason that there's PTSD and it's not because we want to sell you services. That's not it at all. It's because we survived. Some of us thrived. Most of us survived through a time period that was incredibly difficult. And so it's a little bit like when your parents as a kid say, trust me, when you get older, you'll understand. (laughs) Whenever this thing does really change, trust me, you will all understand why we've been saying what we have been saying. Without a doubt. You know, 2007 is when I started my business and went out on my own from working with the big publicly traded builders. So that was a great time to start a business. (laughs) And I did great until 2009 when I was actually curled up in a fetal position. (laughs) So I uncurled myself and put one foot in front of the other and went back out there. And, you know, by 2010... Somehow I made it through 2009, but yeah, the, the, the nervous tick in my eyes is still there if I think about it. So selling to a start slot, I think you mentioned that. What, what does that look like? And just describe people for, who, who are not familiar with that concept. What does that mean? Because again, a lot of, most people listening are marketers who, unfortunately, you should be, don't pay attention to what the start schedule even is in their organization. It's like, we, we do marketing. So let me circle back to the two and the one in our 10, five, two, one. So we don't oh, yeah, get we people totally finish, hanging sorry. there. Yeah. So the two <laughs> stands for your be back appointments. Those are those people that you didn't close them for the sale after the first appointment. So you close them for a second appointment or a third appointment if you need it. And in order to do that, of course, you have to know what the next step in the process is. So you just close for that appointment while you have them there. Don't lose time or traction, as I like to say, by waiting and calling them back and, oh, well, I'll call you on Monday. And we'll, then by the time you call them on Monday, they don't get back to you to Wednesday. And then they have to get with their spouse or their significant other. And then they call you back Friday or Saturday. And then they're scheduling for next week. Now you've lost two weeks in the process. Yeah. So remember an object in motion stays in motion until met with an equal or greater force. Inertia? What, wait, what, which, in the di- law of inertia. which force yes, of dynamic? Are, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So your seventh grade uh, science is coming back to you. So yes. That's right. <laughs> so and then of course one is the number of sales that you get from the ten, five, two, and one. So if you want a salesperson to deliver fifty sales per year, this is the formula. Now you have to manage that. You have to look at it, and you need to have a planned encounter with them every week. And how are they doing? Do are, are they getting enough traffic? Do they have their appointments set not only for next week, but the following week? Are they working with their OSC? And is the OSC getting them the appointments that they, all those factors come into play? And then what support do they need? So we as sales leaders have to always be there in that supporting role to what do you need from the company in order to help increase that? And what are you, Mr. and Mrs. Salesperson, doing on your own? Because you shouldn't just be dependent on the leads that the OSC is setting for you. But as a salesperson, you should be driving about 50% of your own traffic and appointments. Okay, let's play a quick prediction game. And I'm going to give you time. Don't You're not allowed to answer, okay? I don't know if you're a rule follower by nature or not. I have a feeling you're not. Probably not, no. But try to follow this one. The 10, 5, 2, and 1 rule makes a ton of sense to me. If we fast forward 10 years into the future, what do you think would be the impact to those numbers? Meaning, I'll give my initial thought is that the 10 probably gets smaller, but the five gets exponentially bigger potentially as more information is available on the website about options and option pricing and 
maybe even build or start publishing at some point, what their start schedule looks like and when availability is. And just more and more information might lead to less of those initial interactions that are part of your tent. So so take a minute. I'm going to, Will Duderstadt gets excited every time I play the Jeopardy music. It's the only reason he says he listens. Will, he's probably eating waffles somewhere. Oh gosh, no. Let's stay focused, Kim Marley. No pancakes or waffles in this conversation. The, the 10, 5, 2, and 1, any, any part of that process that you think changes more dramatically than another in the future? I, I think it does. And I've actually seen it change based on the type of builders I'm working with. So mm. where I'm working with my more custom builders, particularly when they're scatter site and they don't have their own land, we're seeing people who are already coming in so much further into the funnel that it is almost like a buy now scenario. Interesting. So they're coming in, they've already done their homework. A lot of times they are a referral from the lender. So they are already pre-qualified. They're already working through that process. They already own the land mm-hmm. and they've already been on the website. They've already played with the interactive floor plans. They're already, they pretty much know what they want and when they can work out the budget with that. Whereas that means when we provide that information on our website and it's not a big secret. I mean, come on, guys. You know, we're like, oh, my competitor's going to get it. Your competitor already knows what you're charging. Come on, get over it. So when we have all of that, so that the role changes for that five, for those first appointments, you're still going to need those first appointments because at some point, as a salesperson, you're going to need that handoff because the buyer's only going to be able to get so far before they start to have questions that your AI or your or the website doesn't answer. So your job actually gets easier. So the sales conversion in those first appointments, I think, gets much easier, but you're still going to need, you're still going to need a handhold. Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. I I just wonder if if it doesn't become actually exponentially, someone's going to have to do more. I, I think to me, more information almost always creates opportunity for more interactions, not less. Like if you think about, what we all for thought about in 2003 of if we did what we're doing in today's world on our websites, and if we thought if we did that in 2003, that there'd be no reason for uh, salespeople at all. But that's absolutely not true. In fact, we had to create the online sales role to help bridge the gap. And we still don't have enough of them. And we still don't even put all the information on the website. So I, I think it's just an interesting framework. And, and again, 10, 5, 2, and 1 is what you're saying is a great place to start. The other thing I would say about that is as things do change, you have to keep remembering to run the numbers both directions, update how the math works both ways, because you can't just continue to always say that in 2040, we need, you know, 10 walk-in traffic units. Well, no, because you you may not get walk-in traffic at all. We may be in this virtual world up up to a certain point. The real question is, when do your salespeople stop being in charge of that sale if it is at start, then these numbers can pretty much stay the same because, or maybe they can have 10 first appointments. If they're managing a pipeline and we don't get better and more efficient at building, mm-hmm. then how many can your salesperson handle? Yep. And beyond 50 a year, they're going to need an assistant. And that's what I call the Emilio Estevez, which I think is the right guy. Emilio Estevez was the lead actor in one of the best movies of all times, The Mighty Ducks. And I watched a behind the scenes thing about it one day when I was sick, I think, in college. I had nothing else on television to watch but that. And the director was talking about this dilemma of it's a movie about kids skating. Do I teach actors how to skate or do I teach skaters how to act? 
And he felt like it was easier to take people who are naturally good actors and teach them how to skate well enough to shoot the movie. And I think some of that is what we're talking about of how many really great, like I mean great, human-to-human salespeople are there? And how many do we need? And that connection, I think, means that we have to get better at building out the support team around those truly great salespeople in, on both sides of every. I'm talking about online, hybrid, and post-sale. We've got to create better support structures for our really great salespeople as we move forward, Absolutely. I think. If they're managing, you can only manage so many in a pipeline. And if you have to touch those people every week, and by managing a pipeline, that gets into a whole other category here. But mm-hmm. by managing that pipeline, you know, they need to be touching those customers once a week proactively. Even if that customer comes in and sees them every single day, we know at the end of the day, because we've done that, we've done this, we've done our surveys at the end. And even if we saw that customer every single day, if we didn't initiate the contact, the question is, you know, was your salesperson proactive and informative? And they're no. They because they felt like they always had to come to us. You got to have again. That's a we can get into a whole customer experience uh, thing, which I actually uh, did it at at IBS with Will Duderstadt. So, oh wow, yeah. You were asking me about even flow selling. Oh yes. So selling to the start slot as a concept again for those who aren't familiar with what that I don't want to necessarily role play it with you, but what does that sound like when we're talking to a customer when we're communicating? about selling to a start slot. We're not probably using those words, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. We probably aren't, but we should be. And we need to talk about, we we don't educate our salespeople about even flow production, yet all of our larger builders are using it. I was working with a builder this morning on even flow production and getting them to understand how to manage their pipeline and set it up, even putting in their quick move-ins and plugging those numbers. As a builder, you should know how what your goal for the year is. You back that down into then how many starts do I need each month? I get small builders to go, well, if I sell everything by March, then I know what my year is going to be. Okay, great. But what about next year? So we have to be thinking bigger than, okay, how many do I have to sell by March? And then we slack for the rest of the year until Q4. And then we go, oh, wait, I don't have enough start slots for next year. We better start selling homes. That is just going to keep you on that hamster wheel and you're always going to be spinning and you're going to need more people, i.e. more overhead, to manage the same amount of work if you don't even flow. And by even flow, we sit down and we look at the number of closings that we need for the year and we back that into the number of starts we need per month to achieve that. So let's say 50. So that means you're going to start four homes a month, one per week. If you don't do this, the homes are going to stagger themselves anyway because you only have so many trades and frames and all of that. And they're just going to, your production schedule is going to be drug out. And right now we know we're all fighting this because of supply shortage. So what used to be a four or five month production schedule has now turned into a seven or eight month because we can't get windows, for instance. So you can still manage it if you manage those start slots so that everything doesn't just pile up and then it's a scramble because now which is the priority to go ahead and, and get closed. When you do that, you share that start slot schedule with your entire team, including your OSCs and your sales team. And you talk to your buyers and your prospects and you share this with them and say, these are the available dates. Now let's talk about how long it takes to get a permit. Let's talk about how long it takes to do to get you financially qualified. Let's talk about all of these things 
And here's the next date that we have available. So we're uh, March in March right now. If our next start slot is probably June, and that means you're going to be in your home. So, so the buyers come in and they think, oh, well, I don't even want to be in my home until uh, December. So I've got plenty of time. No, they really don't. And especially with today's delayed uh -huh. schedule. So we use that to create that urgency and sell to the start slot by backing into it with the buyer. Now, today, we're not doing that in a lot of places, especially in a production area, because we're starting our homes, we're managing our pace by scheduling out our starts. We are doing that part of it, but then we're just releasing. So if you're with a big production builder, maybe they're releasing 25 a month, and the salespeople are all allowed to sell three or two or whatever you're allowing them to sell. Well, that's changing. And I'm, I'm sitting here in the Tampa market and we have very few offer situations still going on in Tampa. There's some limited pockets, mm -hmm. but for the most part, that's already gone away. And we're the, according to Zillow, we're the hottest market in the country. Mm -hmm. So I would argue that. I would say that there's still California, Arizona, as it always has been, Phoenix and then us. Uh, but still third hot, hottest market in the country. And we're not doing highest and best anymore. Yeah, uh, we're not even doing VIP lists because we I mean, we're taking them, but we realize that VIP list is probably not worth yeah. what we thought it was. Yeah. And I know there's lots of places we can go here, but I think one practical one to help people out is what if you're selling to a start schedule that is so far out that it disincentivizes the sale. Is that okay? Because that's just market dynamics doing what it's supposed to do to keep the even flow. But if you're if we're talking in March and you say, hey, Kevin, I could start your home in December of 22, what would you tell those people? Is it just kind of, it is what it is or anything? Yeah, I mean, I there's no magic more wand, I know that, but. Yeah, there is no magic wand, except the builder probably shouldn't be trying to, how many times are you going to actually have to sell that home? Because if you're, if you're selling that far out, first of all, you have no idea what your costs are going to be. So how many times is that price going to change? How many times are you going to lose a buyer because of price, because of your escalation clauses? And so we shouldn't be selling that far ahead. So manage your pace better so that you don't get that far ahead. And if you're that far ahead, then you probably want to look at ways of just building inventory and releasing them at frame stage. So you have a better yeah. handle on, I, on your cost. So you just change what you're doing. That was awesome. R really awesome answer. I, I, I couldn't... Uh, agree more of why are we selling that far out? Now, the reason we're typically selling that far out is because we don't know what else to do with our poor sales team. We're afraid they're going to enter a, a, an asylum or, or need help if we don't just let them keep doing, you know, I, I was talking with a builder last week and they've exceeded their quarterly sales plan, uh, smaller company. So their quarterly sales plan was, I think, 27. They've sold 35 and the sales leader the sales manager is like, let's keep going. Let's sell. And it's like, ah. Uh. And so that's what I mean. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's challenging for salespeople. But for the customer to say, December, that's just kind of market dynamics working of why would you want to, why would you want to is I think a great point you're making. Why would you want to sell it if you can't start it till December now? Um, I have a builder who does that. And it's a conversation that we have regularly. And unfortunately, the sales management leadership and the company leadership and their investors, you know, are kind of going in, they, they're pushing them in two different directions. Mm -hmm. But what we find is that we're selling that same home three times. 
And it does yeah. become just about, are you just having your sales team do busy work at that point? Well, I think it also, we have to talk about what really does a sale mean? Because it kind of goes along with the, you know, 150,000 people who have bought uh, is the wrong word or reserved, which is the right word, a Ford Lightning pickup truck. I mean, that's, that number can't make you sleep easy at night as a Ford executive thinking I've just got all the sales in the bag because it, until you close, none of it has money behind it, really. I mean, a couple right. thousand dollars is not going to save us in the event of something changing drastically. And so what, how much peace of mind is that really worth to you to think I've pre-sold someone who's going to start in December or November? Uh, I think it's false information. You know, I actually worked with a builder who, who's now retired. And this was a challenge that we had in managing the pipeline is we had all these sales, quote, and air quotes. And yet we didn't have, we had $1,000 down. Um, and, you know, they were constantly in delay. And, you know, they weren't getting, I'm like, at what point do you stop calling this a sale? Because it's, how many are you getting your start slots? If you're not getting your start slots, these are not real numbers. And this was, of course, a different time. We were, you know, coming out of the the, the Great Recession. But you you have to, it's a numbers game. And if you're not managing your numbers and you don't know this stuff in advance, I mean, how many times are you going to have to sell a home that you say is starting in December? You should know that shouldn't be something as a leader of a company that's catching you flat-footed. I love it. Okay, you have rap- to be able to measure those numbers in order to know them. Rapid fire so we can get through all of them. You have six areas of focus that are part of, of managing these numbers and, and making sure that things get done and that you have traction. What are those six areas? I need to give quote on the or credit. Gino Wickman wrote a book called Traction. Yeah. It is fantastic. If and you it's have taken, not read it's it. taken the home building world by storm. I would say probably a third, a good third of the builders you've worked with have used that book as a, a management tool in the past two two years or so, I would say. Yeah, I I am getting so all of my builders. I, I'm I'm trying to get onto this program because it's everything that I've been preaching. Plus, then I have a tracking tool that we're then using to make sure that we're on focus. Oh, so cool. it's a shortcut for me and for them to be able to quickly look where are things falling apart when I'm consulting hmm. with them. So this these are not my areas of focus per se. These came from this book, but they are your vision. So what is your vision for your company? Do you know that? And have you communicated it effectively? So if you haven't, and most of the time we haven't, we don't even know if we had to say what our mission statement is or what we stand for. We can't do that. Uh If you can't do that, how do you communicate that customer experience? And and how do employees know what they're trying to work cohesively together to create? Exactly. And uh, yeah, and then it's not enough just to put some words on paper. We have to talk about then what does that mean? And then we have to give people real world examples. Your people, do you have the right people in the right seat? So we create an accountability chart to talk about all the jobs that need to get done, the actual jobs, not projects. Don't confuse that. And then do we have the right people with the right talent running those jobs? or employed by you in those jobs. So we want to put the right butts in the right seats to make your team run well. And oftentimes we find we may have some really great people, but we've got them in the wrong seat. So, and other times what I find is as builders, because we're so busy running the day-to-day and we're scrambling all the time, we throw people at problems rather than looking at our systems to solve those problems. 
So your data, which is your third six of the six areas of focus is the data will tell you, do I need a person or can my system help me to expand exponentially? If it, if I get more efficient, can I work with the team that I have? Maybe yeah, that's probably a better I, way to say that. I, I want to just add a little bit of um, story time to that. At Heartland, as a semi-custom builder, where every house was drawn and then stick framed on site, as we scaled up from 200, 300, 450 semi-custom homes a year, the drafting department kept becoming a challenge. And there was always this promise of, we just need one more person. We just need two more people. We just need three more. And by the end, we had a fourth of the first floor of our building was all drafts, draftsmen. When we originally started out with just one, and, and it just highlights the exact example you're saying of just adding more bodies to a broken process. And the brokenness wasn't that we had to stop being a semi-custom builder either. It was just that the flow of the information and data just wasn't strategically thought out well enough that we just kept lying to ourselves and saying we needed just one more person. I had the same uh, thing happen when I was with Ryland, which of course doesn't exist today because they were bought out by everybody under the sun and they're now Lennar. But with that, we had a we had a, an architect on staff and they were just letting salespeople just, if a buyer just asked for anything, we were drafting, we were drawing. So a lot of that is just refining those processes. And what we found, the, the architectural department actually gave me the hardest pushback when I came in and started managing the sales processes. And they said, no, what am I going to do? I've got this great team. And I said, think what you can do with our product yeah. when your team has time to actually develop the right product for the right locations. Mm -hmm. Imagine what our sales pace will be then. And that's why they hired them to begin with. So we didn't lose any people over that. But yeah, so your data will tell you and then your systems, just like we're talking about now, you know, are you utilizing them? Sometimes that's the hardest part with traction. Uh, is utilizing also is not paying the monthly fee for your system is not utilizing it. Just Absolutely. Saying. So, you know, we've been, you and I have been talking about CRMs since we were, apparently yeah. since we came out of the womb, right? People, it is, it's astounding to me. We buy these expensive CRMs, we throw some data in there and we think they're just supposed to magically like solve all our problems. No, you really have to work them. And if your sales manager is quote, too busy, to get in your CRM, roll their sleeves up and manage, you got a, you, you got a, a different problem. It's not the CRM that's the problem. I yep. manage sales teams from across the country by looking at their CRMs. You know, I uh, wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't have that data. I know I said we have to go fast, but I got another funny story here. Or, or So we, we both are big fans of Lasso as well. And yes. I, I truly, I don't mean this, you could take it lots of different ways. I just mean it as what it is. Lasso is without a doubt the simplest, most direct CRM tool for an on-site salesperson to use. There may be more powerful, more automotive driven, prettier UIs, all these things. When it comes down to it, there is nothing easier for a salesperson in a model home to use as a CRM system. And yet the most common objection you hear about any CRM system, but especially when they say it about Lasso, I'm just like, they're like, we just need something easier. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. No, actually, this is the best, easiest platform for you to use. And so if you can't get your team to use this one, good luck. Like, it's yeah, just- They're not going to use anything else now. And learn it yourself. As a leader, it is yeah. your job. You've got to learn this stuff yourself. And Lasso gives you great resources. So, yeah. you know, I have I have my plan encounter form. I call up Heidi. I'm like, Heidi, I've got a, I've got another builder. We're going to be doing blah, blah, blah. And, and 
They just plug my reports right in. Yeah, but I, you, I guess you have to put so, the good so data in there. So it doesn't sound like I'm just promoting Lasso only. There are reasons why you would have another CRM system. It just is not about simplicity or ease of use or getting right. training of your team. Those all those are not good reasons to not use Lasso. And I will say, so there's two things I want to say. So to Lasso, love you guys. You know, give me a pipeline. I keep I keep pushing. <laughs> It's on their list. They're going to give me one. I know I'm going to get this pipeline for all of you. I'm fighting the fight for all of us for that. Uh, it's a visual pipeline. They know what I'm asking for. And the other thing is, if you are using a production tool, a production manager, it is not a CRM. Stop it right now. I can do more with an Excel spreadsheet. So yeah. that's not a CRM. Learn. Call Kevin. Call me. Call anybody and learn what a CRM can actually do for you if you're using it right. That's right. Okay. Yes. After systems, what well, we got two left, after I think, system, or one are left. your issues or your challenges? I take a little, I take issue with the word issue from mm -hmm. Gino Wickman, but he says to get over it. He says that stop being afraid of this word. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with what he's saying. These are your challenges. These are the things, your bigger hurdles that are more interdepartmental and are going to take more than one or two people to solve. So what are those challenges? What are the hurdles that you face and what resources do we need to throw at them? That's an area of focus. But again, if you're not managing the numbers and the data and your systems, you're not going to really know. And it's going to seem like everything is a priority and everything is not a priority. That was the hardest part. And the number one reason people fail in the building industry is that they think everything is a priority. And they live in that urgent, important, urgent quadrant all the time, which just means you're constantly <laughs> putting out fires. Kimberly, and I, I got another say, story for you. That's why we love story time so much is my house is now, I would say, 94% complete, which is a big deal because when we moved in, it was 90% complete. Then the basement flooded. Because you live we, in it. Yes. We went to 80%. We're back to 94 And it's not the missing cabinet or the wrong countertops or the really big things that actually drives you crazy as a customer. It's the little things like... Uh, a missing piece of hardware on a cabinet or a missing uh, ball catch on a door. And, and, and you're like, it's been five months. Like, I know you, you have a hard time getting cabinets, but there are ball catches for, for closet doors at Home Depot right now. Why? So it just illustrates what you're saying exactly of it's paying attention to the small issues. And when you're urgently moving from one thing to the next, it, it makes it really hard sometimes to solve these really stupidly easy things because you're just moving so fast. You know, it's like, this isn't hard. Just Home Depot's one mile away. And finally, we got a guy today who did that. He, he came in, he's like, I don't actually have the part that I thought I did, but I'm going to go to Home Depot and I'll be right back. And then it's solved. But it was a new employee who hadn't yet joined the rat race of the urgent. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Yes. When no. you can get that person to give you the solution. I, I bank a drawer, you know, I built during the pandemic, moved twice. Fun. <laughs> uh, it's totally fun. And because, of course, my new home wasn't finished. And then, you know, we had a bank of drawers. It took almost 18 months to finally get wow. to where they were level. And the, imagine. So here's a concept for all of us in home building. Why don't we finish our homes before we close them? I think we can end now with the part. Yeah, um, right. That's the closing statement. <laughs> yes. So, and it is, it's, it is a numbers thing. We have scorecards. We, you know, their pipeline, I've got all the stuff that you can track. It's, and it's not hard setting it up, takes some time, takes some effort. But when you start seeing the numbers, 
you know where things are falling off. You know where these priorities need to be. And that's my point. It works for sales. It works for your pipeline management. It works for the customer experience. It all comes together. And it, it's not hard. Everybody yep. wants to make it hard. It's not hard. Yeah, not at all. It's, I forget who I'm stealing this quote from, but it's really simple. It's just not easy. But it is pretty simple. Like, it's just... Like anything else, why can't we exercise more? Why can't we do whatever it is that we, we claim to want to do more? If you're not doing it, then that's the problem is you're not doing it. It's not oh. anything else. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not brilliant. I don't have all the answers, but the, these simple tools, when I can just show them to people and, you know, take their hand and kind of get them going, the light, but the, it's a reward in and of itself because the light bulb starts to go off. And, and it's that to me, that's why I do what I do. That's I love why to you see want that traction. light bulb is go it, off. It, Traction yeah. gives you a positive feedback loop of, look, I'm making progress, which makes you want to continue moving on. Absolutely. Momentum building so that we keep the positive, positive movement going forward. Kimberly Mackey, thanks yeah. so much for taking the time and uh, look forward to having you on again in the future. Uh, make sure to check the links in the show notes to connect with her on all of the social channels. Check out her website at your blog with, or not blog, your podcast with Carol Morgan. And then real quickly, just help people understand the difference between head to head and the podcast. Two different purposes, two different kind of formats. Just describe those quickly for us. Absolutely. Well, the sales and marketing power hour that I do with Carol Morgan is that it, it's a lot of fun. It came out of COVID. It came out of helping builders in a, in a panic where we explore what's happening in the industry. We try to connect you with the industry thought leaders and we do a, a one hour dive into a subject. It's live, it's not a webinar, we don't use slides, it's a conversation and we allow people to, to join us, ask questions and really try to give them the resources that they're looking for. And then head to head kind of came out of a, a conversation I had with Myers Barnes where we were just riffing one day on the phone, we we're just talking. And I said, wouldn't it be great if people could actually hear us doing this? Imagine the benefit to people if they could actually hear two thought leaders just go head to head on a topic because we didn't exactly agree. We were in alignment, yeah. but we didn't exactly agree on the way that it got there. And it gave people a different perspective. So that's what head to head is. And I've backed them down a little bit because of my schedule and how crazy it's gotten. So I'm doing six head to heads. That's a one on one with industry thought leaders. The topics are there. You can find it on my website. We'll make sure you have the links for that. And then the sales and marketing power hour, same thing. We've kind of backed that down to six times a year. I think, you know, people are having trouble keeping up with all the podcasts and everything. So we're trying to make it easier for sorry, them. Not sorry. We're doing sorry, not part. sorry. I know. We're doing our part to make it. Yeah. yeah. But we're getting, you know, and we're getting a lot of people. I mean, you know, several hundred that are, are registering for each one of them. And, and they're different each time because of the topics. So that part's really cool. As long That's as people awesome. need it, we'll keep providing it. Go check it out. All right, Kimberly, thanks again for coming on. And thank you. Thank you very much for having me. 